Thanks for checking out the Lakeshore Podcast. If this is your first time listening with us, we want you to know God loves you. We want for your hope in Jesus to be renewed and for your faith to come to life. Wherever you are joining us from, we hope this message encourages you. And John chapter 16. The title of today's message is uh, something that is going to spark something in in a number of you people because you've been waiting in this under contract series for us to get to this. The title of today's message is all of God's promises are yes. All of God's promises are yes. And the reason I say that because we've been studying about this contract that we have or this covenant that we have uh, with God through Jesus Christ. And part of of what God did in Hebrews chapter 6 was according to the Bible, because God understood that as, as mankind, we, we recognize contracts. People can say whatever they want. They can make all the promises in the world. But when they sign their name on a contract, that's when things get real. And we know that. And so Hebrews chapter 6 verse 17 says that when God desired to show more convincingly to the heirs of promise, that's you and I, the unchangeable character of his purpose. In other words, he wasn't going to change his mind. He guaranteed it with an oath. Or again, we would say he signed a contract. In fact, that's the way the passage is actually set up. So we've been studying what is this contract that God signed. And we've looked at scriptures in the Bible and passages in the Bible. We've come to find out that the Bible defines this oath or this contract as a blood covenant. And when you begin to recognize the framework of a blood covenant and what all, you know, what all it entails, all of a sudden your eyes are open and you realize there are thousands of references from Genesis all the way to Revelations. This is not just mentioned once or twice. This is almost on every single page. And we begin to realize that the Bible's not just a love letter from God. The Bible is a legal contract. In fact, we recognize it's split into two legal contracts. The Old Testament, or that's the English word for covenant, or we're, we're saying contract. And then, and then the New Testament, or the New Covenant. The Old Covenant was to set up all the documentation and to set all the parameters and all the things that would need to be done to unscramble what Adam and Eve did when they sinned and let corruption, sin and corruption come into the world. The Old Contract set all of that up so that then when Jesus came, we could step into a brand new contract. Hebrews chapter 8 says it's based on better promises. It's upgraded. It's certainly you know, better for you and I because we've been given this added strength from the inside that we can actually live in a covenant with God and we can enjoy all the benefits of that covenant. And so this is what we've been studying for uh, a number of weeks now, and, uh, and now it's going to get real practical, real pragmatic. And so we'll turn a corner today, and for some of you that have been saying, well, this is all great, but when do we get to the part where I see how it works in my life today? And that's what we're going to start uh, with today. But before we get there, let me just remind you, if you've missed any of these lessons, this is not just fluff. Uh, I appreciate you guys wading through these weighty teachings with me, but this is where the rubber meets the road and how we literally experience God's supernatural power. I don't mean weird. I don't mean spooky. I don't mean unbridled. I mean God stepping in and doing what the Bible says that he will do and doing it in, in areas where you can't do anything else, but supernaturally beyond the natural uh, circumstances, God will do what he promised he would do. And he wants that because he wants the whole world to notice, hey, what's different about you guys? Well, it's not me. It's the fact that I have a heavenly father who can do what no one else can do. And this is what the Bible promises us. So if you missed so far, get the podcast. They're absolutely free, the video cast. Um, if you didn't pick up a study guide on your way in, pick one up on the way out, or you can download one. They're all online. Um, I've been challenging you guys every single week and will continue to do it. If you haven't done so yet, join a connect group. Because man, there, there's nothing that will help you to digest and understand and experience the reality of God's word like sitting and talking among other believers who are chewing on these same concepts and, uh, and seeing how it works in everyday life. And then the, the last uh, 
a resource that we've introduced is there's a book entitled God Swears to Keep His Promises. And uh, we've had lots of people that have ordered it. I'm hearing uh, great reports across the board. It's easy to read. It's one of the best I've ever, uh, I've ever read written on the history and the spiritual, the scriptural connection of a blood covenant. Uh, it happens to be written by my brother Jerry. But I get no commission off that. I get there, there's no special privileges. Uh, I'm just recommending it because it's that quality of a resource. All right, so today again, we're going to zero in on the promises of God and the fact that they're yes. And I ask you to turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 20, because this is that very popular verse that a lot of Christians know and love. And it simply reads this way, For all of the promises of God find their yes in Him. All of the promises. Everybody say all the promises. Okay, so every single one of them, if you can find it in the word of God, all of those promises find their yes in, in Jesus. And that is why through him, through a relationship with Jesus, we utter our amen to God. Amen just simply means so be it or yes, I, I, I accept that. But listen, we're not just saying amen to God because it, it's in the Bible. We're saying amen to God because we recognize it's in the Bible because it belongs to us. So this is a personal, like, yep, I can see that's what the Bible said. Amen, I agree with that. So be it. Let that happen in my life. That's what that amen means. And it goes on and says that that's why we utter our amen to God. And when we do that, the covenant promises begin to activate. They happen in our lives and God gets glory for that. Now, let me talk to you about the scripture because it's definitely one of the most exciting. It's one of the funnest to read, but it's also one that stirs up a lot of really important questions that we can't afford to just, to just walk by. We've got to stop and ask. So when the Bible says that all of the promises are yes, does that really mean that they're yes? I mean, like for us today, like I should expect to experience this in my life. Is that really what it means? And if so, then how do I kind of align myself in the way I'm thinking and the way I'm viewing my situation in the way that I'm approaching life? How do I align myself that says with my mouth and my actions, I, then I do agree with God. And if that's true and I can do that, then how in the world do I begin to lean in so that I can experience what the promise says to me? Because these promises weren't just verbal inspiration they were absolute guarantees that God will do what he promised he would do. And I ask you to turn to Galatians chapter 3, because in Galatians chapter 3, we're going to find three very important components that Paul's going to list in just a few verses. And if you've been around Christianity for a while, you've probably heard these things. You've said, you know, I've heard about that before, but many Christians, even though they've heard of them and they'll sing them and they might even insert them, you know, in, in some sentence somewhere, they really don't know what they mean. And when you begin to understand what these three things mean, it, they will go a long ways to help begin to convince you that all of the promises really are yes. Every single one of them. You'll never have to doubt that again. You'll find a foundation that you put your feet on. And I don't care how impossible your situation looks. I don't care who uh, says differently. You'll look at them like you're crazy. Because God's word says, and you'll be so convinced nobody can talk you out of it. And remember, that was the whole idea of why God signed a contract in the first place. But once you build that confidence... Once you know that you know that you know that God's telling the truth, then the Bible says it ignites your faith, and that's what unlocks God's ability to begin to do exactly what he promised he would do. So these three are super important. So we're going to look at them today. We'll read them first. We'll identify them, and then we're going to look at what they actually mean, and you'll see how this thing begins to unfold. All right? Very practical today, yet deeply spiritual. So Galatians chapter 3, we're starting in verse 13. It says, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law. That's the first thing we're going to look at. What is this curse of the law and why is it important that we are convinced that Christ redeemed us from that? He redeemed us from the curse of the law. Let's keep reading. By becoming a curse for us, for it is written, cursed is everyone who hanged on a tree. And he did that. Verse 14 goes on and says, so that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles. Well, that's the second thing the Bible tells us. When we're in a relationship with Christ Jesus, 
Here comes the blessing promise to Abraham begins to flow to our life and becomes part of who we are. Uh, Even though we're not of Jewish heritage, we become engrafted in to those promises made way back when. Well, that's great, but why is that important? Well, he goes on and he says that needs to happen so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. And that's the third one. So the first one, he says, we've been redeemed from the curse of the law. We got to understand what does that mean? And why is that important that we really grasp that? Number two, the reason we're redeemed from the curse is so that the blessing of Abraham can, can move our direction and can become part of our life, even though we weren't back there with Abraham and we're not part of the Jewish race, we're still grafted in or we're included and that blessing of Abraham comes. And that's important that you know it really belongs to you because once you know that, then the promised spirit, that last component becomes very relevant and you can see, oh, that's why that's a a crucial piece and that's what helps me to navigate the rest. Okay, so here we go. We're going to understand each of them and uh, and you're going to see practically why this is important. Here's the first one. Galatians 3.13, it says that Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law. Well, what is the curse of the law? What is that? I mean, it sounds real spiritual and sounds like it's bad. And yeah, we, we probably needed to be redeemed from that. But what in the world is that? Well, specifically what Paul's writing about to the church at Galatia was the supernatural negative consequence that was pronounced on anyone who disobeyed the laws of Moses found in the first five books of the Bible. And so he's specifically writing and saying that law of Moses was what made up that old covenant, that old contract. And anybody who violated that, Deuteronomy chapter 28 said, if you obey and you'll do everything that's commanded here, then here's the supernatural blessings that will begin to flow to your life. In other words, supernatural is important because even if the environment was not conducive to that blessing, it didn't matter. God would flow supernaturally that would supersede the environment. For example, one time there was a man named Jacob, and Jacob was, ex- was in, the, in a, a country that was experiencing a drought, which when you're in agriculture, that's a big deal. Nobody's crops are growing because there's no water to grow the crops. And yet God spoke to, to Jacob and he said, I'll tell you what I want you to do. I want you to get that field ready and sow everything you got into it. And, and just absolutely nuts, right? All the farmers were like, what are you doing? There's a drought. This is not the time to do that. And yet the Bible says that Jacob sowed and in the same year he reaped a hundredfold. That was impossible. Even if the rain would have, been, would have been falling just the way it should, to reap a hundredfold the first time you're in the ground, the soil's not conditioned for perfect harvest yet. But supernaturally, in the middle of a drought, in the middle of a famine, God blesses Jacob and he reaps a hundredfold. That's what the supernatural blessings. However, on the other side, Deuteronomy 28 says, if you don't obey God, then supernaturally, here comes these consequences, or the Bible calls them curses, that will begin to unfold in your life, even if the circumstances, the conditions around you are perfect. It won't work for you. Because you're going to be vulnerable to all these consequences. So when Galatians says that we've been redeemed from the curse of the law, specifically, it's talking about the violation of all of the laws that were in the first five books of the Bible or the laws of Moses. However, in a broader picture that we see across the Bible, these consequences or these curses were were really just captured so the people of Israel could see they were captured, but really they were the result of Adam and Eve sinning. And when they did that, sin entered into the world and corrupted everything. And so these consequences are not just from the law, because you and I, we don't try to obey the, you know, the, the first five books of the Bible under the law anymore. But the consequences that are still in the world, because sin has corrupted the world, the Bible says you and I have been redeemed from that. Now, just in case you're thinking, well, 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 hold on for a second, because Adam and Eve are the ones that made a mistake. Why do I have to pay the price? Well, that might be, that might sound real logical and real rational until you stop and realize, even though you weren't the first one to sin, you've sinned over and over since then and proved that you're worse than Adam and Eve. 
Because they might have done it once, but you've done it over and over. In fact, Paul points that out in Romans 3.23. He says, don't try to con yourself. Every single one of us, all of us have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And by the way, because we've been forgiven, but we're not perfect, we're still messing up. We're still thinking things we shouldn't have thought. And we're not just thinking them, you know, we shouldn't think that. We're dwelling on them long enough until it gets really bad. And they're like, okay, I probably shouldn't think that. Or we're still doing stuff we shouldn't do. Or we're not doing stuff we should do. But we're still proving over and over again that we have a fleshly part of us that's been corrupted by this sin nature that yields and kind of wants to, to, to move towards temptation. And the Bible says that Jesus had to come to completely redeem us, to ransom us, to pay the price so that that debt goes away so that we can step out from under the rule of not just the consequences of the Mosaic law, but we can step out from under the limiting, crushing rule of the consequences that's still in the world from sin. That's important that you and I understand that. When Jesus died on the cross and we accepted him, we just didn't get forgiven so one day we get to go to heaven. We were completely set free from all of the backwash and the filth and the confusion and the chaos and the limitation, all of the consequences that come because this world is infected with sin and there's no fixing it until Jesus comes. But you and I have been set free from that. Now listen to me. See, most people think, or most Christians even think, that you know, we're, 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 we're saved, we're going to heaven, but really we're still kind of limited and linked, linked into all of the systems and the structures that are happening in the world. But here's what they don't understand, is that all of those systems and structures that are in the world are underneath the kingdom structure of God. Because the Bible said the earth belongs to the Lord and everything and everybody in it. Everything going on in the earth right now, everything going on in your life right now is all, is all based on your understanding and you're, you're submitting yourself to the Lord so that the courts of heaven can make the final decision rather than you living under the rule of, of, a, of a sin-infected world and experiencing the consequences. You don't have to live under that. The Bible says we're in the world. We'll feel the effects. Every time the world shifts, we're going to feel that it's dark and, and all that's happening around us. But listen, we're in the world, but we're not of or we're not under the system of the world. You're, you're an ambassador of a whole different country. So you're living in an embassy right here in the middle of all this corruption. But none of that stuff applies to you if you don't let it apply to you. And Jesus is the one that took care of that. So it's important that you understand that Christ came and he completely ransomed you. He completely set you free from all of the consequences that are happening out there in the world. You might experience them. You might see them. They might roll into your life, but you need to realize that doesn't belong to me. Do I deserve it in and of myself? Every day. But that doesn't belong to me because Jesus paid the price and legally completely made me free. I'm not subject to what's going on out there anymore. I'm underneath God's plan and God's covering. And we see this all the way through the Bible. But this is exactly what Galatians is trying to tell us. You've been completely set free. So if you're wrestling with something that's happening and then, well, that, that's just life. That's just how it is. You know, we live in a sin-impacted world. Yes, but... Jesus paid the price so that you don't have to live underneath that anymore. That's important that you understand that. Because once you understand that you've been completely freed from all of that infected, consequential, you know, sin-infused mess, then you realize the reason you were set free is so that the blessing of Abraham could begin to flow to you. And this blessing of Abraham is vitally important because this blessing of Abraham tells us some things that separates us from between the blessing and the cursing. By the way, let me give you a couple things about this blessing. I'm sorry about the curse again. When we go back to Deuteronomy chapter 28, just so that you can kind of really get your head and your heart wrapped around, well, what are the consequences of sin? Deuteronomy chapter 28, there's a really long list, some, you know, somewhere around 50, 50 plus verses that spells it out. If you take that list and you draw yourself categories and you say, okay, that one's this and that one's that. And when you get to the end, scholars agree that the curse of the law really encapsulates uh, everything in life that is infected by poverty, uh, 
by sickness of some sort and by death. Don't think of just physical stuff, but poverty, an impoverished spirit, an impoverished heart, an impoverished relationship, shallow and, and wanting and, and you know, needing to be enriched. And think, think about sickness, not just physical sickness, but emotional and mental and relational. And, and, all, and it, 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 anywhere that sickness touches, and of course death, not just a physical death, the death of a dream, the death of your aspiration, the death of your hope, the death of the things you were trying to move forward. Any place in life that can be infected and affected by poverty, sickness, and death, that would constitute the curse of the law or the consequences of sin. And so you need to understand if you see any of that in your life, you're like, yeah, I've been completely ransomed from that. Legally, Jesus has already taken care of all of that so that I don't ever have to live in that anymore. In fact, that's what Romans chapter 8, verse 3 through 4, I won't read that, write it down, you can go read it, but let me read you kind of a simpler, more of a summary version. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21 says, that he made him, God made Jesus, who knew no sin, to be sin for us, so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Jesus literally took on all of the consequences and the penalty of the consequences of violating God's law, and he paid for that with his life. And when he did that, God said, okay, then the debt is settled, and he, he now offers, and he says, anybody who wants to receive the payment or the forgiveness that Jesus purchased, now you can have what Jesus rightly deserved. You can have the right, clean record, clean standing with God, and now you're in line to be able to receive the blessing that God had, that God had for Abraham instead of the consequence, all right? So it's important you understand being redeemed from the curse of law is a big deal. It's not just sins forgiven. It means that you are unhooked. They cut the trailer on all that consequent stuff. And even though you and I are living in it, we'll see it, we'll, we'll experience it, we'll feel it from time to time. When we do, we, have to, we, we can say, nope, I've been redeemed. Nope, I, that, that doesn't belong to me anymore. I've been ransomed. Jesus paid an expensive price, so I don't have to live in all that anymore. And I can escape that. And then the Bible goes on and says that that was, belonged to us because that, that we needed to receive the blessing of Abraham. In Genesis chapter 12, God makes this promise to Abraham, and it's really significant. Now, we've been studying in Genesis 15. That's where this actual contract takes place for the first time. But before that, Genesis chapter 12, and mind you, this is 400 years before the law of Moses was given. So before the, the law ever came and all the consequences, God already had a plan to bless his people. And the blessing un, un, unfolds like this in Genesis 12, starting in verse number one. It says, now the Lord said to Abram, go out from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation and I will bless you and I will make your name great so that you will be a blessing. Verse three, and I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you, I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. Now, if you read that and you're just kind of making an itemized list, there's six or more promised blessings that God made to Abram here. But more important than that, God set an outline of how he would walk through the Old Testament in order to set up a new covenant in the New Testament that Jesus could purchase. And as he was walking through step by step, starting with Abraham and then all the way down through Abraham's descendants, who we know in the Bible as the nation of Israel, as God was walking step by step, showing them how he was moving them towards this eternal blessing, then the Bible also reveals that there's this pattern that once Jesus had earned the blessing for us, paid for the blessing of Abraham, then the Bible says that you and I now have a template to say, and this is how God's going to walk through you. So let me, let me show you what that pattern is. First, he said to Abraham or to Abram, he said, you have to separate yourself from outside influences that would be different than what God was trying to teach. And he specifically said, it could be your family, your family ties. Well, you know, that's just how our family is, and it's always been that way. And, or this is how grandma said and grandpa said, and, and I have utmost respect for grandma and grandpa. But if that's the way your family's always lived, and it's not the way God said to live, 
then you say, I have to choose. Do I want to live under God's blessing? If so, I may have to step out from under the influence. You don't have to leave the people, but you have to leave the influence. Yeah, I think we're going we're gonna to do that a different way. The other thing he talked about was tradition. He talked about, well, this is how we've always done it. This is in the land we live. And the final thing is this culture. And he said, you've got to step away, be willing to step away from those things. Again, we're in the middle of all this, but we walk to a different drum. We have a different set of instructions because we're under a different contract. And so he told Abraham, if you're willing to do that, then he said, here's what I'm going to promise you. I promise I'm going to bless your life. Don't worry about circumstances around. I'm going to supernaturally cause you to be blessed. And you're going to become so blessed that your children will experience that blessing and they'll continue in this same uh, pathway and they'll be blessed and so on and so forth until your children multiply and we've got a whole nation of Israel and the whole world's going to know Israel because they're the people that are blessed of God. And not only that, but through them, I'm going to begin blessing other people and other nations in the earth until the culminating promise was until all the families of the earth will be blessed. Well, that's the great commission. God started with Abraham and said, if you'll let me teach you how to live and you'll let me demonstrate that I can be your God and I will cause your life to be blessed no matter what's going on around, if you'll let me do that, he said, then eventually all the families on the earth will be touched and all the families on the earth will recognize that if you serve God, there's a blessing there. Well, all the families on the earth are now being blessed because of what Jesus did when he, he purchased this new covenant. And so you and I have, have the blessing of Abraham, which is eternal salvation and the whole blessing packet. And this is exactly what God promised he would do. He said, I'm starting with Abraham. I'll keep that same pattern with all of Abraham's descendants, with the children of Israel. And once the new covenant comes, that's the pattern you get to live by now. Separate yourself. Now, it doesn't mean you have to alienate yourself. We're salt, we're light. But it means you can't live the way everybody else is living if you want to understand that we're under a different contract. You have to recognize that God will do what he promised he would do if you'll walk to a different drum, the drum that he's asking you to walk. In fact, that's what Paul's talking about a little bit earlier in Galatians chapter 3. Listen to Galatians chapter 3 verse 8. It says, and the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham saying, in you shall all the nations be blessed. Now, when Abraham heard that, he didn't know that was the Great Commission. He didn't know that, that God was saying that Jesus was going to come, and because of that, salvation would be available to everybody. He didn't know that. But, that's, but God knew it, and God was starting that, putting that clause in that old contract so he could begin developing and building that. And then when we got to the new contract, Jesus would actually do that, and now everybody in the, in the whole world can be saved if they'll believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, verse 14 picks up and says, he did that so that in Christ Jesus, we just read it, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles. Now, Peter, who actually was one of Jesus' disciples on earth, years later, this is like 50 years later, he writes a, an amazing letter uh, to, to the church at Jerusalem. And I want you to read, to listen to what he wrote, because these verses are so rich that they're shocking. They kind of startle you. But listen to what he wrote. Second Peter chapter one, verse three says, his divine power has granted unto us all things that pertain to life and godliness. So some people say, well, yeah, but you know, the Bible, that's just about spiritual stuff. Well, Peter wanted to make sure that you understood it's not just about spiritual stuff. So he said that everything's been granted to you and I that have to do with or that pertain to not just godliness, but to life. That's your practical everyday boots on the ground, making, you know, make, making the rhythms of, of, your, of your family and of your job and, and of your schedules going, that kind of life. He says all things have already been provided to us that pertain to life and godliness. Notice this, through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence. That just says one once you know Jesus as your savior, then all, all of these blessings are opened up to you so you can live practically and relevantly 
you can be blessed of God, but also so you can live a godly life and your motivations and your priorities don't get all mixed up. You have what it takes because God steps in, but it's not finished. <clears throat> Verse four, uh, four, number four says that when you're saved and all of these things are now part of, of, of your blessing, the blessing of Abram, it says, by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises so that through them, you may become partakers, listen to this, of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. The corruption that's in the world because of sinful desire is the curse of the law or the consequences. But it says that you and I can escape that. Not only can we escape it, we can actually live being a partaker. We can live involved with what this is calling the divine nature. See, this is where Christians get really shallow. Because years ago, we loved to wear the WWJD bracelets, you know, what would Jesus do? And, and still we say, well, you know, Jesus, if he were here, he would. And, and lots of times we're referencing good, moral, basic things. Jesus would love. Jesus would forgive. Jesus would be kind. Jesus would be generous. All true, by the way. But we don't think about the rest of the divine nature that Jesus walked in. Jesus walked in a divine covenant of health. Jesus prayed for people that were untouchable, people that had cont contagious, infectious diseases, and it never touched him. And I don't mean just prayed for one. He prayed for thousands all the time. Jesus, not only that, found himself in all of these places, but he never, ever was in want. There were times where he, he said, we, we can't send these people away without feeding them. And he found a divine supernatural source that fed thousands of people with leftovers. See, and we don't think, yeah, but that's Jesus. Those were the perks. Oh, no, no, hold on. That's Jesus who came to purchase the covenant and be our example so that now we can walk in a similar divine nature. We're not just limited to everything else. We, we get to do and we get to live in supernatural provision. I'm not saying that, you know, we can walk into Thanksgiving dinner and say, hey, you're probably noticing there's just one happy meal, but we're going to pray and everybody's going to eat till they're full. We're not playing with this stuff. But this is real enough where when it comes down to it and we get into situations, we can step into the same kind of divine privileges that Jesus did because he purchased this blessing for us and it comes real to us, although Christians don't know that. And so they never even think about trying. They just live in lack. They just live in panic. They just live in fear all the time. Jesus never did. During a life-threatening storm, a hurricane, Jesus was asleep. Not because he, you know, he was in denial, not because the storm wasn't that big of a deal. It was a huge deal. Everybody else on the boat who were experienced nautical people, they were freaking out. But Jesus was living under a divine protection in a divine nature, and he knew, no, the Father said that I have to go over there and do something, so no way this boat's going down. We're getting to the other side. It can be a rough ride, or it can be a peaceful ride, but one way or the other, we're getting to the other side. See, that's what we're supposed to live in. When we begin to realize that Jesus completely paid for and completely ransomed us from all the consequences and the control and the curse of a sin-infected world, and he did that so that the blessings of a divine nature, of this supernatural kind of experience can happen, not weird, not unbridled, but supernatural. Like, there's no way that's going to happen, and yet God does it again over and over and over again. Listen, if you begin to understand that, then there's no insecurity. There's no fear. There's times we don't know what to do, but we know who to ask. And we know that the promise, even when we don't know what to do, that we're, you know, the, he's going to carry us. He's going to walk us through. See, that's when this becomes real. And all of a sudden you realize I'm under a whole different contract. I'm covered. I'm covered on that. I, I, th those things are in my policy and I don't have to be afraid like everybody else. And so this is what the Bible's trying to get across to us. And Peter says here that we have these great and precious promises so that through them we can partake in a divine, a different, a supernatural life so that we can escape all the corruption that's still happening and continue to accelerate in the world through sinful desires. By the way, sometimes those sinful desires are ours. 
But many times there are other people that, you know, over the centuries have made decisions and have just kept compiling on and the world's getting worse and worse, but not necessarily for us. So the Bible says we've been completely ransomed from the control, from the consequences, the curses of sin, so that we can be we, we can have full advantage of the blessing of Abraham that I'll bless you and I'll bless your life and I'll bless everything you're involved in and I'll bless your children and I'll keep growing and I'll keep solidifying things and establishing you so that you become a testimony in the earth and you'll be part of this great commission so that eventually all the families of the earth can know that God's telling the truth. This is real. And God really does what he said. And he said, we want to experience the blessing because once we understand that, then the last promise kicks in. And this is the one that, we, that gets super practical. He said that we are, we are promised the promise of the spirit. Now I want us to look at this quickly in two different parts. So the first part, we're going to look at the actual word promise because in the Bible, it's different slightly than the promise, the word promise that we use all the time. In the Bible, this particular word, word uh, promise is epangelia, and it literally is talking about the thing that was promised, which is what you and I usually look at first. But it also talks about the guarantee that, that packages the promise, that once a promise is made, you can be absolutely confident, no insecurity at all, that what was promised will actually bring, uh, get delivered to you because it was a promise. So that word promise is really big. It's not just the thing. It's the guarantee that the thing is going to come. That's how the Bible uses promise all throughout the Bible. And what we find out in the Bible is that God's promises come in what I'm going to, to, to split so that you can see it in two layers. The first layer I'm going to call the general promises. And the second layer then are the specific promises. So let me back up the general promises. The general promises is what 2 Corinthians 1.20 initially means when it says all the promises of God are yes. That's the first layer that you're guaranteed that when God made these broad categorical promises, that once it's in the Bible, once it was in the contract and God sealed it, then you can be absolutely assured that God will keep his promise because he's bound with an oath now. Because he's in a contract. He didn't have to be. He would have kept his promise anyway. He doesn't lie. But so that you and I could be doubly sure, it's locked into a contract now. And when you see the general commitment, the general promise uh, that counteracts all the consequences of, of, of sin. So, you know, sin brings in sickness and God makes a general promise. Yeah, but I will heal you. And so when you begin to understand that, that, that the general promise is what you kind, of, you, you kind of base your life on, these are never going to change. These are dependable, they're, they're, they're rock solid, they're foundation, you can plant your feet. This is what the Bible promises. Now, in Deuteronomy 28, the first 16 verses or so list all of these promises. But you've heard me, if you've been here for a while, you've heard me make a reference to one of my favorite passages because it's the best one I know in the whole Word of God that clearly spells out five different categories of these general promises. This is what's written in your spiritual contract that you can depend on God will never change His mind. Let me read you Psalm 103 in verse 2. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all of his benefits. Right? So here comes the benefits. Now here's a list. Num verse number three, who forgives all of your iniquity. I've never met a Christian that didn't understand, at least intellectually, that Jesus forgives all of our sin. That's what God is born again. He forgives all of our sin. In fact, 1 John 1, 9 says that even after we're born again, if we sin, if we'll confess that sin, he's faithful and just to forgive us of that sin and wipe us clean from all unrighteousness. And so forgiveness is a constant with God. Anytime we come and ask, I've never met a Christian who really didn't understand that. They had to wrestle with it because some of the decisions they made, they thought, yeah, but this is a really bad one. Or I've done this one so many times, will he forgive me again? But at least in principle and concept, they know God forgives all of their iniquity. But watch this next one. Grammatically, it's like there's no breath. It's in the same sentences, who forgives all your iniquity and who heals all your diseases. I don't even know how many of those same Christians 
that will just argue and defend the, the, the integrity of the word of God, know that he forgives all of our iniquity, will turn around then and say, yeah, but when it says he heals all of your diseases, but the contract is clear. By the way, this isn't the only place. Walk through the word of God and you'll find over and over and over and over and over and over again in the same way that God says, I'll forgive all of your sin, many times in the same breath, in the same sentence to make it hard for you and I to disconnect it, he said, and by the way, I'll heal all of your diseases. This is our health benefit. This is our contract. Well, he goes on from there and he says, who redeems your life from the pit? This is talking about any place that you have a deficit, anywhere you slid behind, whether it's financial debt or it's places of development in your life or it's relationship that's kind of slipped off the mark and, and it's been so long that you guys don't know how to build that back up. Any place that you're underneath, the Bible says God promises you in the contract, he'll bring you back up to level ground again. In fact, Deuteronomy 28 says he doesn't want his people to be the tail. He doesn't want life to be dragging you around. He wants his people to be the head. He wants you to be leading life around. And this is your contract. He goes on and he says, who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy. This is in other translations, it's really clear. It's talking about God's preferential treatment, God's favor for his children. You know, have you ever had that thing where you say, I know there's more in me. I just don't, I just need a break. I just need the opportunity. Your heavenly father can pull the strings behind any curtain and he will make sure you get the opportunity. He'll make sure that you get a break, that you're ahead of the line because you're his kid. That's what he, the covenant says. The contract says he'll do. And not only that, it goes on and says, who satisfies you with good so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. That means as you're processing through life, no matter how big a challenge is, no matter whether you're moving from to the next stage of life and you get a little older and you got, you know, the, the golden years in front of you, you always have purpose. You can go to bed every night and realize my best days are still ahead of me. In the kingdom of God, there's no such thing. Well, I peaked back there. That was my main years. Now I'm just kind of in. No, no, no. You, you can live with a zest, with an excitement, with a purpose, with a zeal of life. And this is a promise of God. So every one of your days on the earth are lived like leaning forward like this is awesome. And this is what the Bible promises you. You can live a vivacious life. And listen to me, the reason it's important you understand passages like that, because when you begin to realize you really have been ransomed from the consequences of sin, you'll feel them, you'll experience them, because we're living in the world, sometimes we make a mistake, and here they come right into our life, but you don't have to submit to them and say, well, I guess that's as good as it gets. You know how the world is. We're not in the world like that. You've been completely ransomed out so that the blessing of Abraham could come. And the pattern is God says, all right, if you separate yourself, you're listening to me now, I'll bless your life. I'll bless your stuff. I'll bless your children. I'll begin to establish you. And this thing will just keep moving forward so that you're fulfilling God's plan. And you're part of this giant kingdom story. That's what I'll do for you. And he said, by the way, part of my general promise is that any one of these areas that the consequences of sin impacted poverty, sickness, and death, he said, yeah, I'll give you a count for that so you can escape that and you can see the blessing of the Lord in spite of all that stuff. This is it. Listen to me. You never, ever, ever as a Christian, you should never, ever again question, do you think God really wants to heal me? Over and over. Super clear. Now you may not know how he wants to heal you, you may not know when that healing happens. You may not know through what avenue that's going to happen. That's where the specific promise comes in. But the general promise is where you set your feet and you say, but here's what I'm not confused about. God does want to heal me. God is going to do, he, he will heal my life. God will replenish and restore me. I know that was a big mistake. I know we lost everything. God will rebuild it. He promised he would. Supernaturally, God will do what he promised he would do. But I can't tell you how many Christians abandon ship. They don't even lean into the general promise of God because they're like, well, I don't know what the Lord wants to do. He, he contracted it so that we'd be so clear so that we would start right there. And once you begin to accept the general promise as unchanging, unchangeable, then you, can, you, you begin to build faith and now you lean in and you say, Lord, Talk to me about how you want to do that. Talk to me about, about when you want to do that. Talk to me about, is there anything that I need to adjust? And this is where the Bible says the Holy Spirit comes into our life. And that's where the specific promises comes. 
that God begins to say, okay, this is how I did it for Abraham, but I'm not going to do it for you that way. Here's how I'm going to do it for you. And this is how I did it for Pastor Gill. And this is how I'm doing it for, you know, pa- Pastor Brandon. This is how I'm doing it for Pastor Madeline, for Pastor Kerry. But I'm going to do it a little different for you because your circumstance is different. Here's how I'm going to do it for you. And he will customize a pathway for, for the general promises to begin to happen. But he's doing that because you've already stepped and understood. Yeah, I'm not wondering whether God's going to heal or forgive or bless or restore. I know he is because the contract says he will. Now I get on the phone to my agent and I say, by the way, I have a clause in my contract that says that, you know, you'll do this and, and that's kind of a need in my life right now. Tell me what I need to do. Well, I'm glad you said that I'm going to send you a form and then I need you to go over to this place and then that person's going to inspect and validate that. And there's always a pathway to re- be able to receive the promise. But this is where Christians get all off balance. By the way, we understand this, right? As parents or as children, one way or the other, we understand that. Let me kind of show you how practically we live this out all the time. It's not confusing. If you're a parent, there's an understood promise that you've made between you and your children that you will provide food and shelter and protection for them until they reach adulthood or can do that on their own. And by the way, whether you ever said that, that's so understood that if you violate that, you'll get arrested. Your children will be taken away from you. That's an understood promise. But let's take that whole promise of providing nourishment for them. And let's say that your four-year-old wanders out to the kitchen one morning and says, I want ice cream for breakfast. And the parent, probably the mom, says, sweetheart, you can't have ice cream for breakfast. But look what I've already made you. I've got a great breakfast here because we've got a busy day and I want you, you know, to have all your nutrition. And, 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 and so, so let me ask you the question. You promised that child nutrition. That child asked for ice cream. You said, no, did you violate your promise? No, of course not. My promise is to provide them nutrition. In fact, I might have violated my promise if I gave them ice cream. But my promise is to give them nutrition so they could grow the, the right way. However, let's just say that Mom didn't know, but the night before, dad's putting the kids to bed, and dad said, tell you what, if you get up like you're supposed to, and you get dressed like you're supposed to, and you get out to the table when you're supposed to, you can have ice cream for breakfast. And so here comes the four-year-old dressed and ready to go right on time, sitting at the table, I want ice cream for breakfast. And mommy or daddy says no. Would that violate the promise that was made to that child? Now wait, hold on. The general promise, no, because you're still going to give them nutrition. But now the general promise has been upgraded to a specific promise, and that child's now hanging on to a specific set of promises that are included in the general, but now they're specific, and they filled out, they did their part, so now they're expecting ice cream, and and you say no, well listen, that would be really bad parenting. You, you better have a reason, you better explain, or you're, you're losing trust points. You're causing trust issues to happen because you're making promises that you did or didn't intend to fulfill, but when it comes down to it, they did their part and you didn't do your part. Listen to me, God never does that, ever. But Christians don't understand, and so they're like, you know, God, I want ice cream, I want ice cream. And the Lord says, no, you can't have ice cream. You never give me ice cream. Well, no, that's not true. I'm just not gonna give it to you this time. And here's the reasons why, but I'll tell you what, if you'll follow me and you'll do the things I'm asking, then in a short period of time, I'll give you the ice cream you want. In fact, you can have any flavor. You can eat a whole bunch of it. And, but Christians confuse these. God, I want you to do this for me. And God doesn't do it. See, God doesn't keep his promises. Not true. God is faithful to every one of his promises. But we don't understand, and so we confuse a general promise that a good heavenly father is watching out for. We confuse that with some little whim or some little thing that we think is important. And if God doesn't do what we say, when we say it, how we say it, then we get all in a rough sea. He just doesn't keep his promises. That is absolutely not true. And you know it as parents or you know it as a child growing up. That's just not good parenting. God always keeps his promises. And if you'll step in and you'll embrace those general promises, God will begin to talk to you about the specifics of how he wants to do that in your life. And once a specific promise is made, if you'll follow him and you'll do what he's asking you to do, then God will do the the, the specific promise, not just once, every time. Every time. This is the integrity of scripture. This is what God's trying to get us to understand. This stuff is real. You say, now hold on, Pastor, because that, that, that's a little, you know, that can be a little complex. Yes, 
And that's why the, the last part of the promise is so important. He said, not only does they remove from the curse, so the blessing of Abraham can come, so that we can receive not just the promise, but the promised spirit. When I first started studying the Bible, I used to read that, and I would be so disappointed. Because I was like getting all jazzed, you know, that God would keep his promise. This is real, man. I can depend on it. And I was learning to live my life that way. And God was doing just what he promised he would do. And I was so excited. And then I say, wait a minute, wait, you're going to give me the promised spirit. Does that just mean like, you know, you're going to encourage me so I can, you know, learn not to be so bummed out when life's not working the way it's supposed to, or so I'm not so disappointed. And I thought the spirit was just a warm, fuzzy feeling or just kind of, you know, a comforter that would say, but that's okay. One day you're going to get to heaven. and It's going to be awesome. You know? But for right now, this is how it is. And, but then I began to study the word of God and realized that's not at all what, what the Bible means when it says the promised spirit. In fact, here's the last passage I ask you to turn to so you know we're on the little short home stretch. This one won't take very long, but it's really important. In John chapter 16, Jesus has walked with his disciples for three years and he's about to leave and they are panicked. What do you mean you're leaving? All this divine nature stuff, all this supernatural, all this wisdom of God, all this understanding the Father's heart, that's all coming from you, Jesus, and you're leaving now. It's like we're lost. We don't know what to do without you. And Jesus tells them this in John 16, verse 7. He says, I'm telling you the truth. It's to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go away, I will send him to you. Now, for time's sake, we're going to jump to verse 13. And it goes on, he says, and when the spirit of truth comes. Now, Jesus is going to show them three guarantees that the spirit coming into your life will bring to you. And it has to do with the promises of God. He said, first of all, when the spirit comes. So here's promise number one, the Holy Spirit will come. And some of you might think, well, yeah, he already did. Acts chapter 2, that's the day of Pentecost, church was born. No, that's not what he's talking about. He's saying that when you accept the Lord Jesus Christ, the helper, the Holy Spirit will come to you. It's not a warm, fuzzy feeling. It's not some, you know, mystical sway and how do we just kind of get in the zone? The Holy Spirit is a helper. And when you accepted Jesus, he indwelled you and he's right there with you every step of the way. You say, well, uh, that's great. But what's he here to do? He keeps going. And he says, and he will guide you into all the truth. So that's the guarantee number two. When the Holy Spirit comes and he will come, that he will guide you into all the truth. He's there to create the roadmap. He's your spiritual GPS to say, okay, turn here. Okay, slow down there. Okay, yeah, edge over to the left over here. Okay, now straight as she goes. Just stay straight as she goes. He's going to put you on a pathway right into the blessing of the Lord. This is what his job is. In fact, it's going to go on and unfold that. It says, he will guide you into all the truth for or because he will not speak on his own authority. So he's not going to give you his own opinions. But whatever he hears, talking about whatever he hears Jesus say, he will speak. Listen to this. And he will declare to you the things that are to come. So he's going to tell you, listen, you can't have ice cream today, but this is why. Because I'm trying to get you up the road and I got to get you in shape because God's got something amazing for you. And if you'll just stay with me for a little while longer, boy, we're going we're gonna to strengthen that part of you. And when the time's right, you're going to step into this and you're going to be like, wow, I never even knew this was part of it. I know I've been trying to get you ready for it, but you can't eat ice cream every day. You can't eat ice cream for breakfast every day and train and get ready for that. And this is what the Holy Spirit will do. It says that he will declare to you the things that are to come. Verse 14, he will glorify me, that's Jesus, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. Here's, pro here's promise number three. The Holy Spirit is going to take all of those things that rightfully belong to Jesus because he purchased them, because he paid for them with his own blood. Because the Bible said that they were restored and given to him. He has this name that's above every name. He holds the scepter of righteousness and all those blessings and benefits rightfully belong to Jesus because he paid for him outright. And the Bible says that the Holy Spirit's going to come and he's going to declare to you what rightfully belongs to Jesus. Hey, this is what Jesus purchased. It belongs to him. But I want you to know, since you're in a relationship with Jesus, now it belongs to you. You didn't earn it. You can never earn it. You can't even deserve it once you have it because you'll mess it up because we're still growing. 
But he says, I just want you to know that all of this belongs to you now. And trust me, I'm here to walk you down a roadmap so you can experience all the wonderful things that Jesus purchased. He goes on and he says, he will declare to you the things to come. He will glorify me for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. Look at verse 15. All that the father has is mine. Therefore, I said, and by the way, he's saying it again, that he will take what is mine and he will declare it to you. Now, the Bible never repeats itself just to kind of fill, you know, a literary page. The only time the Bible repeats itself is it wants to make sure you didn't just read right past something. And here are three times in three verses, the Bible promises that the Holy Spirit will declare to you what belongs to Jesus, but now rightfully is, is available to you. And that word declare is the last thing we're going to look at. It is so important because it's this Greek compound word. The first part of the word means to, to bring something up over and over and over again. It's like when you're talking to somebody and you're like, oh, you're bringing that up again. You always say that. Well, it means to bring something up over and over again. And the second part of the word is where we get the word messenger. And it, it, it's talking about someone who's, who's on a special assignment. And they've got a very special message to deliver to a very special individual. And they keep bringing that message. When you put these two together, it's talking about a messenger, which is the Holy Spirit, who comes with a specific message. And it's individualized and specific for you. And he just keeps bringing it up over and 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 over because he's trying to get you to get it. You say, well, what's the message? The message is that everything that Jesus paid for and purchased with his own life, everything that you wouldn't argue for a minute that now rightfully belongs to him, the message is all of it belongs to you. You've been completely set free from the consequences, the limitation of a sin-infected world so that the blessing of Abraham, the patterns of blessing, separate yourself and follow me and I'll bless you and establish you and protect you and provide for you so the blessing of Abraham could come and you've even been given this divine GPS, this divine uh, uh, explorer, this leader that will walk you step by step and say, listen to me, here's what I need you to do now because I'm telling you, this is what belongs to you if you'll follow me then God will do something amazing in your life. All of that effort is so that you and I would believe that all the promises of God are yes. We can open up this word and we can say, I don't know how it's going to happen. I don't know when it's going to happen. I sure know I don't deserve for it to happen. But it's in the contract, God. I'm so happy. I'm so blessed. I'm so encouraged. I'm so strengthened that you promised me this would happen. And you lean in. I'm going to do something I rarely do. But here's what I'm going to do today. <clears throat> I'm going to leave you with a homework assignment. <clears throat> of course, we're not grading it. You don't have to turn it in and you don't, there's no pass or fail. But <clears throat> I want you to take some time this week as a couple or as individuals and open the Bible to Psalm 103 and just look through verses 2 through 5 and identify those five categories. He forgives all of your sin. He heals all of your diseases. He redeems your life from the pit, or some translations say destruction. He crowns you with loving kindness and tender mercies, or he gives you divine favor and opportunity, and he satisfies your mouth with good things so that your youth is renewed and you soar like the eagles. Look at those five guarantees and, and, and remind yourself, I don't have to wonder, does God really want? Yes, he does. He's already said yes. He's already signed it. It's in a contract that'll never change for all of eternity. And then ask yourself, what's going on in my life? Do I have any areas that, wow, I can't believe he said that because I sure could use that in my life. And then begin to, to look at those promises and, and remind yourself, God's telling me the truth. In fact, he went out of his way to sign a contract so that I would believe him. And then by faith say, Lord, I don't know how you do this. I just, it's mind-blowing to me. I, I'm almost afraid it's so to, to even hope, to even build an expectation, but because you said it and you signed it in your own blood, Lord, I'm just believing right now that you will do what you promised you would do because you promised it right there. Now, Holy Spirit, talk to me. Talk to me. Show me what you want me to do. Show me how to, how to position my life so you can fulfill that. That's your homework to start that process. And as you do that, I promise you, as you begin to read the Word of God, your spirit will begin to inflate, and you'll feel faith and confidence. Your head will be going, what? What are you talking That's crazy. I know it is. But God said it, and I trust what the Bible says. 
and you watch what happens. Faith begins to rise and the Holy Spirit will begin to talk to you. First time I ever did this that I can remember, uh, we had just stepped into ministry and we had a huge financial need. And I, I, I mean, it was no way, right? There's no way. And I'm already making secondary plans where I guess we can move in with my parents and I guess I can get a third job or a second job or I guess, you know, I'm trying to figure all this out. And I'm looking at the word of God and I knew the Holy Spirit had, had us on a path. And I said, okay, Lord, I'm going to trust that you'll do what you said you would do. And the Holy Spirit began to talk to me about budgeting. No, 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 you didn't hear me. I need more money. And the Holy Spirit said, I know, let me talk to you about budgeting. No, no, I've already done the budget. I need more money so the budget will work. No, no, no. Let me show you how to make the budget work and then I can trust you with more money. See, that's what I'm talking about, though, why we need the Holy Spirit. Some of these promises, God wants to give them to you more than you want them. But he's trying to make some adjustments so that there'll be a blessing to your life and not cause destruction in your life or through your life. So we're listening to the word. Go to Psalm 103, read those promises, and let the Holy Spirit begin to speak to you. Then come back next week. We're going to pick up right here, and I'm going to show you how the Holy Spirit leads us into all of these promises. You've been blessed by God's word this morning? Stand to your feet. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the word of God that you loved us so much that you, you, you humbled yourself in a sense and you signed a contract. You didn't have to do that. You're God. We, we can believe you anyway, but you humbled yourself and you signed a contract. Holy Spirit, you came to lead us into the truth about that contract. And I'm asking that you would prove yourself to anybody who opens their heart this morning from accepting you as their Lord and Savior for the first time all the way through any need that they have, any restoration, any healing that they have. Show them what the promise of God is and then make it real to them. Lord, we thank you in advance that you're a faithful God, not just sometimes, every time. And that we'll have testimonies that'll come out of this that God does what he promised he would do. We put all of this in your hand. In Jesus' name. listening. To hear more messages like this one, make sure to subscribe and check out our podcast channel for more messages. If you like what you're hearing, share it with your friends. For more content from Lakeshore and information on services, check us out at lakeshorecf.com.